Welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Our weekly roundtable is back. We discuss the change of guard in Washington, D.C., including the new leadership with Congressional Black Caucus member Hakeem Jeffries as leader of the Democrats and Kevin McCarthy as the Speaker of the House after a bruising and public battle among Republicans for the Speakership. U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland has appointed Robert Herr as a special counsel to investigate classified documents now found in at least two locations associated with President Biden, including at his home. All of this adds to Biden's troubles, as some are calling for him not to run again. We look at key areas of instability south of the border from protesters in Brazil storming government buildings and to what is being referred to as a coup, followed by murders of protesters in Peru, to the meeting of Joe Biden, the president of Mexico known as AMLO and Justin Trudeau of Canada called the Three Amigos, this meeting recently held in Mexico City. Meanwhile, Haiti is without even one elected official in charge of that country. Our panelists are Jackie Goldberg, Laura Carlson, Dr. Gerald Horn. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to We work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted, women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Christina Onestead. Attorney General Merrick Garland appointed a special counsel to investigate the presence of documents with classified markings found at President Joe Biden's home in Wilmington, Delaware, and at an office in Washington. It marks the second time in a few months Garland has appointed a special counsel. The first was to investigate former President Donald Trump's retention of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago and his role in the wide-ranging plot to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. Eileen Alfandari has more. Attorney General Merrick Garland appointed as special counsel Robert Herr. He'll lead the the investigation into the revelation that Joe Biden retained classified documents after he left the vice presidency. The documents were found at Biden's home in Wilmington, Delaware, and at an unsecured office at the Penn Biden Center dating from his time as vice president. Garland's decision to appoint a special counsel was an acknowledgement of the extraordinary sensitivity of the issue. This appointment underscores for the public the department's commitment to both independence 
and accountability. Her is a one-time U.S. attorney appointed by former President Donald Trump. He plans to begin his work soon. Biden told reporters at the White House that he was cooperating fully and completely with the Justice Department investigation. People know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. But Biden's Republican critics are having a field day. Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Here's an individual that sat on 60 Minutes that was so concerned about President Trump's documents locked in behind. And now we find it just as a vice president, keeping it for years out in the open in different locations. Democrats like former House Intelligence Committee Chair Adam Schiff said in Biden's case, unlike Trump's, there was no evidence of deliberate obstruction of justice. Trump also went to court to try to retain the documents and said he had declassified them in his mind. Still, the fact that Biden had kept classified documents could muddy the case for prosecuting Donald Trump for his retention of documents at Mar-a-Lago. I'm Eileen Alfandari for KPFA News. Former President Donald Trump is planning to hold his first public campaign of his 2024 White House bid in the early voting state of South Carolina. No details have been immediately announced. Los Angeles police are under fire for three killings just days into the new year. They've released video footage of Keenan Anderson's death. He's cousin to a Black Lives Matter founder, Patrice Cullors. It shows the man begging for his life, crying. They're trying to George Floyd me. They're trying to George Floyd me. They're trying to George Stop it. Stop it, I'm going to tease you. Okay, stop it, I'm going to tease you. Stop it, I'm going to tease you. Stop resisting. Yes. Please. Stop resisting. Please. 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 He died after being tasered for 30 seconds. His death is one of three by LAPD so far this year, which has drawn scrutiny. Officials say the deaths were all of men appearing to be in crisis. Here's Los Angeles Mayor Karen Bass. The videos were devastating, uh, absolutely devastating. It was uh, unfortunate that those officers did not call mental health providers to assist them. But we have to make sure that the resources are there to do that. More than 30 tornadoes have hit the U.S. South, killing at least seven people, destroying some 40 homes and leaving tens of thousands without power in Alabama and Georgia. Climate scientists say climate change is making storms more severe. Donna Ward has more. A twister damaged buildings and tossed cars in the streets of historic downtown Selma, Alabama. Mayor James Perkins said late Thursday the damage is still being assessed. We were blessed. Uh, we dodged some major bullets today. We really did. We, we, this could have been much worse. There were six confirmed deaths in Autauga County, Alabama, 41 miles northeast of Selma, where the county's emergency management director says more than three dozen homes were damaged or destroyed destroyed by a tornado that cut a 20-mile path across two communities. One person died in Georgia when a tree fell on a vehicle. I'm Donna Water. A new study says ExxonMobil knew its impacts on global warming as far back as the 1970s, but denied it in public statements for decades. The study in the journal Science looked at research that Exxon funded. The report says the oil giant scientists were remarkably accurate in their predictions about global warming. The research forecasts the coming warming with precision equal to or better than government and academic scientists. This was during the same time the oil giant publicly doubted that warming was real and dismissed climate models accuracy. Exxon says its understanding of climate change evolved over the years and critics are misunderstanding its earlier research. Russia claims its forces have captured a fiercely contested salt mining town of Solidar in what 
would make a rare victory for the Kremlin after a series of setbacks in its war in Ukraine. Ukrainian authorities say the fight, though, continues. I'm Christina Onestead reporting for Pacifica Radio. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. Uh, it is our weekly roundtable. Uh, our roundtable is back. And I'd now like to welcome our panelists. I'd like to welcome Laura Carlson, director of the Americas Program. She works with Just Associates, an international feminist organization. She's based in Mexico City. She is a regular contributor to America's Update or Foreign Policy and Focus, Counterpunch, and several Spanish language publications. Laura Carlson is also a television host and commentator on globalization, the drug war, immigration, and gender issues for various international news outlets. Laura, welcome back. Thank you, Margaret. Great to be back as usual. Okay, thank you. And Jackie Goldberg. She is a governing board member for the Los Angeles School Board District 5. She's a former member of the California State Assembly. Jackie Goldberg had previously served as a member of the Los Angeles City Council. Before being elected to the council, she served on and was later president of the Los Angeles School Board. Jackie Goldberg, welcome back. Happy New Year to everyone. It's good to be back. And to you and Dr. Gerald Horn, Moore's Professor of History and African-American Studies at the University of Houston. He's written more than 30 books and 100 scholarly articles and reviews. His latest book is The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas Slavery, Jim Crow, and the Roots of the, of the U.S. His other projects include a study of U.S. imperialism in Northeast Africa, principally Egypt and Ethiopia, in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, and a similar study concerning U.S. imperialism in Southeast Asia during the same period. His previous book titles include The Bittersweet Science, Racism, Racketeering, and The Political Economy of Boxing. He is also the author of the award-winning book, The Dawning of the Apocalypse, The Roots of Slavery, White Supremacy, Settler Colonialism, and Capitalism in the Long 16th Century. Dr. Horn, welcome back. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, there you are, Dr. Horn. And I want to wish all of you all good things uh, that are possible, given the environment we're living in for the coming year of 2023 for you and your loved ones. We're going to start out today with the changeover, the changes that are happening in Washington, D.C., the changeover in leadership and all of what this pretends. You have Hakeem Jeffries, who is now leader of the Democrats. He's a member of the Congressional Black Caucus. Some are calling this historic. Some people are saying that he sounding presidential, keeping an eye on him. Kevin McCarthy, Republican conservative speaker of the House, after 15 rounds of voting to become leadership, he was up against a crew of about 20 rather loud MAGA Republicans, as they are referred to. Before we go into that discussion, let us actually hear Hakeem Jeffries and what some are saying. He is pretty good at articulating the position of the Democratic Party. Let's go to that clip now. Thank the distinguished gentleman from New York for yielding all my colleagues uh, for their continued leadership on this incredibly important issue. The 118th Congress has begun 
And the differences between our side of the aisle and the other side of the aisle couldn't be any clearer. Now, let me, of course, reiterate that as Democrats, we look forward to trying to find common ground whenever and wherever possible to solve issues of consequence on behalf of the American people. But we will oppose extremism whenever it rears its ugly head. Democrats have made clear we are going to continue to work on issues like lower costs, better paying jobs, safer communities, defend democracy, protect the public interests, ensure economic opportunity in every single zip code, and yes, fight for reproductive freedom. My Republican colleagues, you promised to come to Washington to fight for the American people, but have spent a lot of time fighting each other on politics, power, and personality, not working on issues related to the public interest. That's what the last few days have indicated, an extreme MAGA Republican agenda. Now that you are getting into substance, on Monday, you pass a bill designed to allow the wealthy, the well-off, and the well-connected to cheat on their taxes, subsidize the lifestyles of the rich and shameless, benefit millionaires and billionaires, not working-class families, not middle-class families, not low-income families, not veterans, not everyday Americans, the wealthy, the well-off, and the well-connected. That was on Monday. Then on Tuesday, you come to the floor and you pass a select committee on insurrection protection, a committee that is clearly designed, in the words of some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, to obstruct justice as part of your evident desire, as many of you have said, to eventually defund the FBI. That was Tuesday. And now on Wednesday, you come to the floor. Nothing on inflation. Nothing on quality of life issues for the American people. Nothing even on public safety. But you come to the floor as part of your march to criminalize abortion care, to impose a nationwide ban, to set into motion government-mandated pregnancies. So that's the distinction for today. As Democrats, we believe in a woman's freedom to make her own reproductive health care decisions. Period. Full stop. A decision that should be between a woman, her family, and her doctors. Period. Full stop. We believe in Roe v. Wade. You wonder about our position? That's it. The Women's Health Protection Act. That's it. Freedom to make your own Reproductive health care decisions. That's it. As compared to a clear effort, that's what this bill is about today, a march toward criminalizing abortion care, a nationwide ban, government-mandated pregnancies, part of an extreme MAGA Republican agenda. And so, yes, we continue to extend our hand of partnership if you truly want to work on quality of life issues. But we haven't seen it. We haven't seen it on Monday. We haven't seen it on Tuesday. And we're not seeing it today. So we oppose this bill. We oppose an extreme mega Republican agenda. And let's get back to the business 
of the American people. I yield back. All righty. So there you go. The 118th Congress now in session after the bruising midterm elections of the Republicans. They have a smaller than they thought majority of the House of Representatives, Democrats, the majority in the Senate. And that was the voice of Representative Hakeem Jeffries, who has now succeeded Nancy Pelosi as Democratic leader. Uh, He's now the House Minority Leader. By the way, Nancy Pelosi was in that position for over 20 years, the first woman speaker in the House in U.S. history. And Hakeem Jeffries himself is establishing a historic history as well with his ascension as minority leader. Jackie Goldberg, we're actually going to start with you because there was the bruising, very public battle that happened among Republicans. They've laid out their agenda, which is very much to the right. People are are commenting on Hakeem's communication skills. And we all know that whatever the issues are, the ability to communicate clearly and effectively is really important in that. And now Biden's troubles with all these documents that have been found. Uh, Jackie Goldberg. Well, first of all, I served with Kevin McCarthy in the California State Assembly in 2000 to 2006. So I know him quite well. He has uh, no soul. He has no politics. His goals are simply to have power, to be a speaker of the House, And it it took him 15 ballots to get there, but he was willing to literally trade all of his power as speaker uh, away. Uh, And I tell you that the role of speaker in a House or in the Assembly is very important because you're wrangling a lot of people, 435 in the House, 80 in the Assembly in California. And if you want to get anything done, you do need to have some ability to guide the process. Kevin McCarthy has not lost all of that. He gave it all away. And I really don't know what they're going to accomplish. But then we didn't know what they were going to accomplish from the beginning because they have no agenda. Remember the Republican National Committee, when they had a platform, said we aren't going to have a platform when Trump was president. We're just going to agree with whatever Trump wants to do is our platform. Well, that's sort of Kevin McCarthy as well. Their, their whole goal is to feed their base, and that is all they want to do. So how do you feed the MAGA base? Well, you investigate, you investigate, you investigate, you call everybody crooks, you call everybody corrupt, you call it a deep state, you try to undermine the people's faith in democratic institutions. That is what McCarthy will do. However, fortunately, the good news is that anything that they pass will not get through the Senate. And if by some miracle it ever got through the Senate, you have a president in the White House who will veto it. So the real consequences of Kevin McCarthy are very few except to try to feed the base before 2024. And I think that's what you're going to see. You're going to see all kinds of stuff. In terms of Hakeem Jeffries, his A to Z, the night of the 15th vote, should be recorded and everybody should listen to it frequently to remind themselves of what this is all about. Talk about a communicator. He really sounded like some Baptist ministers I've known for many years in Los Angeles. And the man is able to articulate the differences between what the Republicans will do in the House and what the Democrats did and would do if they were able to take over. I think that is 
very helpful as we look to 2024. Yeah, Jackie Goldberg, you're right about that A to Z. In fact, uh, we played that clip. Uh, if our listeners go on the SoundCloud, if they would like to hear it, it can also be found, obviously, you know, online of Hakeem Jeffries' A to Z. I, I, I agree. It was really a very powerful articulation. Now, um, Laura Carlson, um, from where you sit, the, you know, one has to question what can happen on the side of the Democrats, given um, the House, and clearly they're going to be doing all kinds of investigations, right? They're going to be going after Hunter Biden, President Biden, God knows who else, you know, rather than really trying to actually govern. Uh, your thoughts on the state of things now with this 118th uh, Congress, and also you know, Biden, you know, there, there are some who have begun a campaign of, for him not to run in 2024. So your thoughts on all this? I think the nation and the world was aghast at the historical spectacle of the 15 ballots that it took to get Kevin McCarthy elected as the Speaker of the House and the manner in which the MAGA Republicans were flexing their muscles. Even when it passed, there were still six people who simply voted present. I think one of the things that's most disturbing about it is the demonstration of the control of Donald Trump of the party. Of the party. He'll be launching his campaign soon in South Carolina, as was mentioned. And he personally got on the phone to manage basically the entire process. More than a fear of his lack of leadership, what is scary about what happened there is the question of what was negotiated with the far right. The concessions include, as Jackie, and I entirely agree with her analysis, noted that uh, he gave away much of his power as Speaker of the House in order to gain his position by lowering from five to one the number of members required to force a vote to oust the Speaker. There were a number of other concessions, and they're probably in, including to investigate the, quote, weaponization of the FBI, more members of the House Freedom Caucus, the ultra-conservative group on the Rules Committee, and probably a number of concessions that uh, we won't know about until we see them more or less in action. In the whole process, Matt Getz said he wants the speaker of his own party, quote, in a functional straitjacket. That's how insane Republican Party politics is now. Uh, the the speech by Hakeem Jeffries shows that he is a very strong voice against this Republican madness. You know, that just rundown of the first three days of the Congress, I think it's critical because it draws out the contradictions and fights back on the narrative, even when they don't really have the votes to block devastating policies, at least in the House, we will have the stalemate situation that you mentioned in Congress. And so what is at the center is the elections, the presidential elections of 24, and this effort to undermine people's faith in democratic institutions that's at the center of the Republican Party's strategy, as Jackie mentioned, and the effort to try to fortify those and democratic participation on the part of the Democratic Party. As for Biden's problems, I think it's very, it's very important what's happening right now. The Justice Department has a policy that a sitting president can't be charged with a crime, but the political implications are clear. On the negative side, this hurts Democrats going into the elections by eroding kind of the moral high ground they claimed with the accusations against Trump proven 
And by reducing in the public discourse the seriousness of the charges against Trump, even though the two situations are not on an equal level. In Mar-a-Lago, they found 11,000 classified documents of an ex-president, and they're just beginning to look at the, at the number of documents that were found. On the positive side, from my perspective, it could be the tipping point to convince Biden not to run for re-election which would be potentially beneficial for the party, although who has a solid 43.9% was the last number from the organization 538 approval rating. That doesn't mean there's support for a re-election. And in 2024, it's going to be very important for the Democratic Party to present a new face. Right. And um, the Republicans are obviously going to be making a lot of hay out of these documents. Uh, The last I heard, I think it was CBS, reported that there were something like 10 documents that were found. And the Biden team immediately um, contacted the the authorities, the archives, and and turned them over. Um, A huge contrast with um, Trump. And it seems as though um, the Attorney General Merrick Garland, he moved very, very quickly to appoint this special counsel, a special counsel, by the way, um, with conservative roots. You know, he clerked with Rehnquist on on the Supreme Court uh, just to show, you know, impartiality. We'll see where all of that goes. But remember how long it also took for a special counsel to be appointed in terms of uh, uh, Trump. Um, uh, Dr. Horn, before we go to you, just some breaking news here, which is that um, CNN is reporting that the Trump organization has been fined $1.6 million, the maximum penalty by a New York judge for basically running a decade-long tax fraud scheme, okay? Um, The Trump Organization and Trump Payroll Corp convicted um, just last month of 17 uh, felonies, including tax fraud and falsifying business records. Well, we'll see what impact this has, because this is a man who said he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and still be elected. But uh, Dr. Horn, your thoughts here, because in terms of McCarthy um, giving up so much power, basically what he was doing is giving it away to the QAnon white supremacist wing of the party, right? And uh, just your thoughts on that bruising battle among Republicans and what it might mean for the rest of us on Hakeem Jeffries' rise and the the, the kind of talk of keeping an eye on him as possible uh, presidential uh, material, as well as Biden's troubles. Dr. Gerald Horn. Well, first of all, the McCarthy selection as speaker was an equivalent to the January 6, 2021 events. That is to say, January 6 was a blitzkrieg coup, an attempt to prevent the transfer of power peacefully. What happened just a few days ago in Washington was a slow motion coup executed by the Freedom Caucus, the hard right forces in the Republican conference and caucus, I'm afraid to say that we may be in a classic uh, counter-revolutionary situation, a kind of pre-fascist situation. It's apparent that the Freedom Caucus and their supporters plan to shut down the government or engineer a debt default unless Social Security and Medicare are slashed dramatically Uh, Let me point you to the column by Paul Krugman in this morning's New York Times that outlines what their strategy is. Obviously, they're plotting, whether they know it or not, 
to destabilize the capitalist system internationally from the right, as opposed to, of course, from the left. And listeners may well ask, why would a GOP base, which is disproportionately comprised of the Euro-American working class and middle class and will suffer if Social Security is slashed dramatically, not to mention Medicare, and many of them might be might have to resort to eating dog food for breakfast, why would they engage in such self-harm? I think that some of our friends on the left, they say that these folks basically misunderstand their class interests. Another analysis is that they're trying to recreate or create a crisis that would bring the United States back to its 19th century roots when white privilege meant more then than it does today, and therefore their ultimate plan is to turn back the clock. Uh, the analogy from the other shore is pre-1994 South Africa, where the black majority basically supported sanctions against Pretoria, even though they were suffering in the short term because they had a larger goal in mind, which was democracy. The Trump base has a larger goal in mind, which is anti-democracy. And I think that that helps to underscore what an op-ed columnist in the New York Times pointed out just a few days ago, which is that there is this upset with Senator Mitch McConnell, even though he helped to engineer the takeover of the U.S. Supreme Court, that is to say upset from the Trump base, because it's difficult for him to deliver anti-democracy from the halls of the Senate. And so we need to take this crisis very seriously. And one more point, uh, I'm going through the 800-page-plus January 6th report uh, published by the uh, House Select Committee under the leadership of Congressman Benny Thompson and Congresswoman Lynn Cheney. And one of the things that's striking, amongst others, is not only the soft peddling of the complicity of certain forces in the Pentagon and in the intelligence agencies with regard to this attempted coup, but also how the foot soldiers, they thought that they were executing another version of 1776. That is to say, they were clear about trying to execute a counter-revolution, and we should take that obviously very seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, Dr. Horn and our other panelists, we are now going to take our station break and leading into, and then we'll return. Uh, so all of you don't stay away. Going into our station break, I do want to pause for a moment uh, to uh, remember the cousin of Patrice Colors, who is one of the founders of Black Lives Matter, her cousin, uh, Keenan Anderson, a 31-year-old high school teacher and father um, based in Washington, D.C. He was in Los Angeles, uh, visiting uh, friends and family only to have his life taken by the Los Angeles Police uh, Department. Um, you know, the, the video is very, very painful uh, to watch, and it is um, reminds us that just this year alone, not only was he killed by Los Angeles Police Department, but so was 45-year-old Takir Smith and 35-year-old Oscar Sanchez, both fatally shot uh, by LAPD. LA's new mayor, Karen Bass, is speaking out about this clearly. Um, so is uh, Patrice Colors. Ironically, he was yelling out as the police uh, apparently had 
a hand or something on his neck, um, he yelled out, Keenan yelled out, they're trying to George Floyd me. And he also said they're trying to kill me. And that's exactly what happened. That's just a reminder of the ongoing um, work and the ongoing tragedies uh, we're facing. So our sympathy to uh, Patrice Cullors, to all of his family, all of his his, his loved ones. Um, we are now going to take our station break and when we return, we're going to continue with our weekly roundtable. We'll be discussing some key things that are happening uh, south of the border, as well as in the Middle East with Prime Minister Netanyahu back with an extreme right-wing government in Israel. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Yes, my friend. Good friend, and set me free again. Yes, me friend, and turn me loose again. Don't try to call me up on this bridge now. I've got to reach Mount Zion. Let me tell you, I'm a dopey This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. Our handle on Instagram and Twitter, at SoTrueRadio. We are nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. Uh, today, we'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in the state of Florida. Internationally, we would like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners, all of them who are south of the border. Uh, this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth, uh, coming out of KPFK 90.7 FM. And we would like to welcome all of the Pacifica um, flagship and affiliate stations that are also uh, carrying uh, our show. It is our weekly roundtable, and our panelists are Laura Carlson, Jackie Goldberg, Dr. Gerald Horn. Now, less than a full week into um, Lula da Silva's um, election um, as president of Brazil, there was basically an attempted insurrection. Well, it was a, an, an insurrection led by far-right extremists who continue to support the far-right president, uh, Jair Bolsonaro. They basically did a, a kind of a January uh, 6th uh, um, operation with invading uh, several uh, government buildings. Um, and actually, AP, in reporting it, they actually said, well, it was shared similarities with the January 6th insurrection in the U.S. They actually use uh, that term. <clears throat> However, they failed. Uh, Lula really decided to order a federal intervention. About 1,500 people um, were detained and uh, so about uh, close to 600 of them uh, have been released for humanitarian reason, 
there was also a call for another round of the insurrection, but apparently some of the Bolsonaro supporters have lost heart. Meanwhile, Bolsonaro is hanging out in Florida and some people are questioning, well, why is he still there? He came into the U.S. on a presidential visa after he was defeated. So there you go. Also, south of the border, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, known as AMLO, and U.S. President Joe Biden met in Mexico City at the North American Leaders Summit. Migration was very much on the agenda. So was Haiti. Haiti is facing a whole set of intersecting catastrophes. By the way, Haiti today has not one elected official left. And there you have Ariel Henry basically ruling by decree. And the other thing that we're going to be taking a look at is what's going on in Peru, because the democratically elected President Castillo, he was arrested after he announced that he would dissolve our parliament, given their continued blocking of his policies, 14 Latin American countries have opposed this. They're calling it a coup. And a lot of violence, meanwhile, has broken out in Peru. And there seems to be what people are calling a split between the city in Lima, Peru, and the countryside and a lot of indigenous communities. Let us actually go now, before we dig into this, a clip from Al Jazeera about the situation in Peru. Inside of Peru's Congress... Legislators shouted assassin at Prime Minister Alberto Otárola as he entered the chamber to ask for a vote of confidence. We declare that the government remains solidly focused on its political action plan to pacify the country. We are not an authoritarian regime, nor do we oppose legitimate protest, but we have as a state the obligation to safeguard the security of the majority of Peruvians. Otarula said democracy would be defended at any price, triggering anger among some opposition legislators. These constant threats from Mr. Otarola are shameful, saying that what they've done is right, that is, that they recognize they're the authors of the massacres that the Peruvian people have suffered in these days, but that they will continue to do the same. <laughs> The government imposed a three-day curfew in the southern region of Puno after at least 18 people, including a policeman, were killed in clashes when demonstrators tried to take over the airport. Otarola has offered help to the families of the victims as part of a strategy to pacify the country, but protesters are not satisfied with any of the government's attempts to quell the unrest. Prime Minister Otárola says the government wants to build bridges with protesting groups. They've sent high-level commissions to several areas in the country, but he says people are not willing to sit down for dialogue. Instead, in the aftermath of the deadliest day of protests in a month-long crisis, shattered families are left to mourn their loved ones. My son is dead. I am his father. He was 16 years old. The UN High Commissioner for Human Rights is urging Peru's government to carry out a prompt and impartial investigation into the deaths of protesters and to hold those responsible to account. 
While many Peruvians want the violence and destruction to stop, others say the political crisis will only end with President Dina Boluarte's resignation. All righty. So actually, Laura Carlson, we're going to go to you a really scary and dangerous uh, situation going on there in Peru. I've been very worried about um, colleagues of mine who are based in in Peru. There's a lot going on, obviously, Brazil and and the meeting uh, with with AMLO, the situation in in Haiti. Um, We're hearing less uh, about the situation in in Peru, uh, perhaps uh, Laura, you could start with that because there is a, a, a cry of racism in particular against indigenous people with the response of the uh, police uh, to the protesters who are being kind of all called uh, terrorists. Uh, I know the time that I spent in Peru, there was a lot of racism there. Uh, the racism against black Peruvians was really shocking. It reminded me of like Mississippi in the 1930s. And and I know there is also a lot of racism against indigenous people. But Laura Carlson, help us to understand uh, what is going on in Peru and any quick comments you have on um, Brazil and the Three Amigos meeting. Laura. Racism is at the core of this from the beginning because of Pedro Castillo's representation of indigenous and rural populations when he was elected to the presidency and how shocking that was to the violent and authoritarian national elite. So he was ousted on December 8th by the Congress and there's been on charges of rebellion and conspiracy, as you mentioned, for calling for dissolution of a Congress that refused basically to govern. And now now there are widespread calls for the resignation of the president, Dina Boluarte, who has reigned over these massacres, which again have been concentrated in indigenous parts of the country. The mass mobilizations in almost all parts of the country have led to an almost uh, approximately, we don't know the exact number, and it keeps rising day by day, 50 people killed by police. There's a huge amount of anger. There's calls for the dissolution of Congress and immediate elections, as well as the resignation of the president. They have offered to have elections in 2024, but obviously the country cannot survive in this situation of repression and protest until 2024. The massacres have been in Juliaca near the Bolivian border, and now they're in Cusco. As you mentioned, the Congress is criminalizing the protesters as terrorists. So in Peru, it's very important that there be international solidarity and that we keep an eye on what's happening like at this time, because otherwise the slaughter will continue and democracy will be totally out of reach for the people who are trying to defend it right now. In Brazil, uh, the Brazilians, and I would agree, are calling this openly an attempted coup d'etat. Thousands of people simultaneously attacked the three branches of power, the presidential palace, the Supreme Court, and the Congress. There was massive vandalism. Nearly 50 people were wounded. And Lula did, President Lula did get the situation under control, in large part because the military forces did not, as an institution, support the attempted coup d'etat. It's different in context and actually a larger scale than what happened on January 6th. But you can see that the invasion followed the far-right playbook. And in fact, there was direct 
advising and communication with Steve Bannon as this all played out. First, there were accusations of fraud even before the elections, calling into questions the machines, the voting machines, which have been authorized and legitimated by all experts. And then there were localized demonstrations when Bolsonaro lost. And then there was a coordinated call to national action. There was the invasion. And there's going to be continued actions, without a doubt. The president dismantled the camps of followers of Bolsonaro, and they're beginning to take the initiative. Fortunately, they move rapidly, much more rapidly than in the United States, into investigations not only of the people who were present at the invasion, but also of the masterminds behind it and those who are financing it with a lot of suspicion on some of those rural agribusiness leaders who have benefited from the deforestation of the Amazon and the stripping back of indigenous rights over forest and lands. This is what's happening right now. There's a warrant out for the arrest of the public security chief, Anderson Torres, as you mentioned, Bolsonaro in Florida, and so is the police chief who fled to Florida before the inauguration, Florida now being the renowned tropical paradise for international fascists, and also for the police commander and others who appeared to have been complicit by not defending the democratic institutions when the assault began. There seems to be a strong move to get to the bottom of what happened and to restore the democratic institutions. But the fascist elements in the country are going to continue to attempt to attack the presidency of Lula da Silva and to weaken it. So again, it's an area where we have to keep a strong watch. And then just very briefly in the Three Amigos meeting, it was a feel-good meeting to highlight the leadership of the three heads of state. There was very little good that came out for the people. They're reaffirming neoliberal economic integration, which is somewhat of a contradiction to Lopez Obrador in Mexico's statements that he's going to end the neoliberal model. And of course, with Biden going to El Paso and emphasizing border security and not meeting with any migrants or even really mentioning migrant rights, except in the most abstract way, and then the extension of Title 42 to include Haitians, Nicaraguans, Cubans, and Venezuelans, we're seeing a continued setback in terms of our immigration system that respects the rights. Haitians are especially hard hit by this because they're being denied asylum at a time when they no longer have even the vestiges of a functioning government where gang violence has increased, where hundreds have been killed, and there's just a vacuum of democratic control that's been fomented by the United States government and the Organization of American States. Right. Thank you, Laura Carlson. Actually, uh, Dr. Gerald Horner will go to you next. Jackie Goldberg, I'm thinking that we will wrap up with you to comment on this section, but also to give us your thoughts on this new government of Netanyahu in Israel. But first, Dr. Horn, your thoughts on all this. Well, first of all, with regard to U.S.-Mexican relations, I think that the subtext of the summit this past week is the fact that U.S. energy forces in the United States are very upset with Mexican energy policy. They would like to get their grubby little paws on Mexican petroleum. This is a struggle that stretches back to the 1930s and President Cardenas. The situation has gotten so dire that in the state of Texas, there has been serious discussion about the United States slapping attacks on the remittances 
the money that Mexican workers sent to their families in Mexico. Uh, this obviously would be devastating to those families, not to mention devastating to the Mexican economy. Likewise, there are forces in South Florida who are quite upset with Mexico's relations with Cuba. There was an important summit with President AMLO of Mexico and the Cuban leadership a few months ago. This did not go down very well in Washington because, as we all know, the Biden policy with regard to Cuba is in many ways a replay of the Trump policy with regard to Cuba. I should also add that with regard to January 8th, which in some ways was a companion to January 6th, 2021, I'm speaking of the attempted coup in Brazil, it was a very curious event. Uh, we saw that on January 6th, there was an attempt to prevent the peaceful transfer of power and to ensure that Donald J. Trump would serve another term. By January 8th, just a few days ago, uh, President Lula had already been sworn in. He was hundreds of miles away inspecting flood damage in his country. Although the similarity is that there was apparent complicity in Brasilia, between the security forces and the coup plotters, certainly we should demand the swift and speedy extradition of Mr. Bolsonaro, who is now hanging out with his good buddy, uh, Mr. Trump, in Florida. Uh, I don't think that relations with Brazil will improve as long as he is in South Florida. I agree with many of the comments uh, concerning Peru, and I won't add to that, but I would add another important point which is that as we speak, the prime minister of Japan is meeting in the Oval Office with President Biden. This is part of tightening the noose around the People's Republic of China. You see that in today's papers, there is a report about the South Koreans trying to develop nuclear weapons, quite ominous, quite dangerous. Before arriving in Washington, the prime minister of Japan toured Europe which is also part of this anti-China strategy. And that obviously underscores the current crisis in Ukraine because if Russia goes down, it seems to me at least that that will only serve to enhance further and increase pressure on China. Right, thank you, uh, Dr. Horn. And, and by the way, um, speaking of Donald Trump, you know, hanging out with Bolsonaro, um, the new Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, has now said that he's willing to look at expunging uh, Trump's impeachment. Remember, he was impeached twice in the House. But Jackie Goldberg, final thoughts, anything you want to say about south of the border, but also um, <laughs> what is happening then in the Middle East with Benjamin Netanyahu, once again, uh, prime minister, after he was ousted 18 months ago, he's still facing corruption charges. And he's made a deal with some of the most right wing political parties in Israel. Jackie Goldberg. Well, the uh, the reality in Israel is, is that democracy is probably not going to survive. Uh, Netanyahu has uh, wants to overhaul the judiciary. Uh, he wants to uh, make it impossible for him to continue to be uh, uh, prosecuted for all of his crimes. Uh, he wanted to be prime minister again so that he could not be prosecuted. But his alliance with the ultra conservative Jewish politicians and the settler activists and the opponents of the Palestinian state means that uh, that things are going to get much, much, much worse uh, for Palestinians and in general for uh, the country. 
Uh, he wants to block uh, the Constitution right now allows the Supreme Court to block laws on constitutional grounds. Uh, but he wants to uh, make it that all 15 judges have to now unanimously agree to block a law. I mean, he's trying to undermine the ability of anything to stop him and uh, the well-known right-wing people. He's flooded his his uh, his his ministers. Uh, uh, it's a very hard, hard right government. And I think what it will mean is increasingly difficulties. It could even lead to actual armed conflicts because the laws and the kinds of things that are about to be passed are really unbelievable. Um, the, uh, he, his plans would make the Israeli parliament no more powerful than the House of Commons or other places. And what he wants to do is to undermine democracy and keep people from having any faith in an Israeli democratic country any longer. This is a the, probably the first uh, time I've ever been completely pessimistic about Israel's outcomes. Wow, that's quite quite a statement there, Jackie Goldberg. And of course, the former defense minister, Benny Gantz, he is warning of a civil war um, in, in an article, I think it was in, in the uh, New York Times. And a former army general, Yair Golan, uh, called for widespread uh, civil disobedience, right? And so there seems to be some um, pushback happening within Israel itself. And Jackie Goldberg, though, uh, just quickly, um, the money that was withheld from the Palestinian Authority, I think it was $40 million or something like that, uh, mm. and instead redirected to the quote-unquote victims of violence uh, by Palestinians, uh, the Biden administration did protest that rather mildly, but also made it clear that there was absolutely going to be no impact on the huge amount of funding that um, the government, the Israeli government gets from, from the United States. So, you know, the difficulty, the difficulty remains that as long as Jewish PACs in the United States continue to support Israel, the right wing Jewish PACs that support Republicans against Democrats, if the Republican is more pro-Israel without any hesitation. Uh, so the right wing PACs in the United States that support APAC and others that support Israel are a big part of this problem and why Netanyahu can rely on the United States and Biden and everybody else to never, ever, ever have any criticisms of them that they enforce with reduced support financially or militarily. And as long as that is true, people like Netanyahu will continue to destroy Israel's democracy. Yeah, and, and meanwhile, there's a concern about these growing incidences of anti-Semitism, you know, in uh, the United States. Somebody told me that um, 90% of the Republican, of members of the Republican Party were Christian. I, 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 I can't back that up, but I, I definitely want to look into that and, and um, understand uh, the role uh, happening here. Well, I'm afraid, though, we are out of time. We're going to have to leave it there. Another fascinating weekly roundtable. I'd like to thank our panelists, Jackie Goldberg, Laura Carlson, Dr. Gerald Horn. Today's show produced by me, that's Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank our assistant producer, Alicia Vargas, our engineer for the day, Gary Baca. If you like a copy of today's show, please contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at one 800 or go 
online to PacificaRadioArchives.org. Stay tuned for more programming on your station. Sojourner Truth will be back on the air on Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. I hope you get to do something really nice this weekend. And please stay well and safe. Thank you.